0: Amen. Thank you, worship team. At this time, children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else go ahead and take your Bibles and open with me to Luke chapter 1 this morning. We're going to pause our series through the book of Daniel as we pick up in the gospel of Luke and begin our Christmas series this morning. We're actually going to make our way through Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 25 this morning and we're going to look at the conception of John the Baptist as the one who will prepare the way for Jesus. And what is fascinating about how Luke actually outlays these events in their time frame is that John the Baptist is not only the one who's going to prepare the way for the life and the ministry of Jesus, but John the Baptist is even going to prepare the way for the conception and the birth of Jesus. It is John who's going to get Israel's attention, sort of wake them up and help them see what we're going to see this morning, that the impossible is made possible through the power of God. And we're going to see that in the text this morning matter of fact we 're going to see four truths concerning the impossible made possible and so what we 're going to do is we 're going to simply start in verse one, read all the way through verse twenty five we 'll pray and then we 'll make our way through the text this morning and so Luke chapter one picking up in verse one it begins in as much. Verse 5, In those days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years." And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah in verse 18 said to the Lord, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Pause there for a minute, fellows. I think we see a little wisdom here in verse 18. Notice Zechariah calls himself an old man, but says that his wife is simply advanced in years. Amen? Doesn't call her an old lady. That would have been foolish. Amen? And instead, she's advanced in years. Verse 19 And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my word, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zachariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept on making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Lord we again just thank you for the opportunity that you have given us this morning to gather together to worship you and to spend time now together in your word. I pray that you would now be glorified and honored in us and through us as we Lord look deeply into this text and Lord we try to figure out exactly how this text is pointing us to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I pray that you would speak through me that you would anoint me through your Holy Spirit and that you would be glorified now. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, in the text, we're going to see four truths concerning the impossible made possible. Number one, the impossible situation is more than man can handle. So the impossible situation is more than man can handle. Now, at the very beginning of Luke's gospel, in the first four verses, Luke gives us an idea of what he is attempting to do for his audience of Theophilus and anyone else, by the way, who will read the gospel of Luke. Luke Luke has put together eyewitness accounts. He has done the digging. He has done the research. He has gone around. He's figured out everything that he can figure out. He's followed the life and the ministry of Jesus now for some time. And he has decided that he is going to join the others and to put together an orderly account of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Now Luke did not walk with Jesus. He was not an apostle. So Luke is eyewitnessing, uh, he, excuse me, he's interviewing eyewitnesses. He's gathering the details from them so that Theophilus and anyone else who read it can be assured of the things that they have been hearing and learning concerning Jesus. And then Luke begins in verse 5 with the conception of John the Baptist. And what again is so fascinating as we make our way through the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke in the next couple of weeks is that John the Baptist is not just going to prepare the way for the life and the ministry of Jesus as we saw Gabriel say, but even his conception and birth is going to prepare Israel for the conception and the birth of Jesus. And so John the Baptist is preparing the way by proving that nothing is impossible with God. And so we see in the very beginning in verse 5 that John, or excuse me, that Zechariah is a priest, he is of the division of Abijah, however you pronounce that, I'm butchering that, forgive me, it's okay. And that his wife was from the daughters of Aaron, her name was Elizabeth, and that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. In other words, they were as righteous as they could be under the law. They were keeping the commandments and the statutes. They were doing everything within their power to be righteous and blameless before God. They were serving the Lord their God to the best of their abilities. And they were doing an incredible job of it. They were good, godly people. And he was a priest. And it came time for him and his division to go to the temple and to serve. And they would draw lots to see who would be the one to actually go into the altar and to clean up the old incense and to light a new incense. And this was something that did not happen often for a priest in their lifetime. And so it says that his lot was driven, in other words, drawn, in other words, this, these events that we're going to see take place are initiated by God as Zechariah goes in before the temple. But what we notice in the first 5 verses 5 through 7 is that the problem that Zechariah and Elizabeth have is that they are childless. Elizabeth is barren. They are now both advanced in years. In other words, they're too old to have babies. And there is nothing that they can do about it. And no matter how righteous and how godly and how holy they are before the Lord, no matter how much they have kept the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, they are in distress because Elizabeth cannot have a child and she is barren. And the reproach of her people is a reproach that she feels on herself. And as soon as we begin to get into the details of the story, I hope that it immediately begins to bring up to you others throughout the Old Testament that were also barren and in distress. When we read this, we think of Sarah, we think of Rebecca, we think of Rachel, even Samson's mother, all who were said to have been barren. We think of Sarah, who was... Sarah, excuse me. Who is advanced in years and in each of those situations we see and we know and we remember that God provided what only God could do. And that each of those children were called out to be used by God for an incredible and special task. And so when we get seven verses into the Gospel of Luke, we find ourselves a little bit excited about what's gonna happen next. Because we know that although this situation is impossible for man, that this is exactly the kind of situation that God likes to work in and through. Amen? This is where God is at his best. You see, oftentimes God lets things get out of our control so that when he does move, he alone gets the glory for what is done. Now, think about that for a minute as we try to apply this to our own lives. Oftentimes, when we find ourselves in these impossible or even the difficult situations of life, we don't get excited. Amen? We're struggling. We're suffering like Zachariah. We're struggling like Elizabeth. We're not excited about what God can do or what God is going to do. Instead, we are focusing on the situation from our perspective, forgetting that oftentimes things are out of our control and oftentimes God uses those things for his glory and ultimately it is a good thing. Remember, we are limited as mankind. There is much that we cannot do. Amen? But thankfully, nothing is impossible for our God. And so as we begin, we see the impossible situation is more than man can handle. Zachariah and Elizabeth are childless. They're broken hearted about it. They're even looked down upon for it in their culture. And there's nothing they can do to fix it. The impossible situation is more than man can handle. And then secondly, the impossible solution comes from a powerful demonstration Of God. Now, in verse eight, we see that Zechariah and his fellow uh, priests were serving before God when his division was on duty. We see that a lot was drawn, and excuse me, Zechariah was chosen to go in and to clean up and apply a new or or put new incense there on the altar before the Lord. So we see that what's about to happen is initiated by God and not by Zechariah. Then we also see that as Zechariah is in burning incense before the Lord, that a whole multitude of people are outside praying to the Lord. It is also not a coincidence that the powerful prayers of God's people are going to be used in in, not coincidence, but in secession, there's the word, with the move of God and with the work of God. In other words, when we pray, God hears. And when we pray, God answers prayers, right? God does work. Your prayers are not useless, they're not in vain. Your prayers are used to move our God in a magnificent and a mysterious way that we do not fully understand, but I'm here to tell you, prayer works. And here's a great and prime example of God answering prayer. It is also worth remembering that it had been over 400 years since God had spoke through one of his prophets. So for 400 years, God had not spoken to anyone, to an Israelite, to a Jew. God had been silent for 400 years. And now here we have Zechariah in the temple preparing and burning the incense. We have a whole multitude of people outside praying to God who had been silent for 400 years. And then all of a sudden, Zachariah is no longer alone. All of a sudden, the angel Gabriel stands before Zechariah on the right hand side of the altar. And as you and I would be, as is perfectly understandable, Zachariah' is confused, he 's afraid, and as we oftentimes see, the angel has to calm down the one he 's speaking to, and so he tells zachariah, don 't be afraid, for God has heard your prayer." And God is about to answer your prayers. Now, here's what I find interesting. What exactly was Zechariah praying and when was he praying? In other words, was Zechariah there in that moment in the temple burning incense? Was he praying for a child? Maybe this was a prayer that he and Elizabeth had prayed years and years ago, but had long since stopped praying because they were well past the age where they could have children. Maybe Zechariah was there before the altar and he was with the multitude outside that weren't praying for Zechariah to have a child, I can guarantee you, who were praying for God to send the Messiah. And so maybe Zechariah is praying all of these things, but what the context makes clear is that God is about to answer all of those prayers. He's going to send a son to Zechariah and Elizabeth. He's going to answer their prayer that they've probably prayed years and years and years for now. They've been praying this prayer. God's going to answer that prayer, but God's also going to answer the prayers of the people. And God was about to send His Messiah. And now... As he prays, or excuse me, as Gabriel uh, begins to explain who this child is going to be, he first of all says that his name will be called John, meaning Yahweh has been gracious. Gabriel says that he will bring joy to both he and Elizabeth and many more because he will be great before the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb and he will turn the children of Israel back to the Lord their God. Notice he will come with the the power and the spirit of Elijah to turn hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So what is John going to do? John is going to point people to Jesus. John's entire life, ministry, and existence is to draw attention to Jesus. And by the way... So is ours. Your existence, your life, your ministry is designed to point people to Jesus. Amen. I didn't hear a lot of amens when I when I just said it, right? Because the reality is that's a gut check. Because so oftentimes our lives, our work, our, our everything we do is not designed by us to bring attention to Jesus. Right, We get distracted, we get busy, we do stuff, lots and lots and lots of stuff, amen? But rarely are we intentionally trying to point people to Jesus in our lives, right? Oftentimes when those opportunities comes, they catch us by surprise, right? Oh, here's a chance for me to point people to Jesus. And I just want to kind of challenge our thinking a little bit. John isn't special in that he's the only one to point people to Jesus. God is special in that he is the specific one that will prepare the way for Jesus. But all of us have been designed and created by God and called by God to point people to Jesus. Amen? So let's think about that as we go about our week this week. Everything we do, we've been called to draw attention to Jesus, to point people to Jesus, to make people aware of Jesus and so John's entire existence was to point people to Jesus and even in his miraculous conception and birth he's preparing people for Jesus how Because God is going to do the impossible for both John and Jesus when it comes to their conception. As a matter of fact, Gabriel understands this. And Gabriel tells Mary this in Luke chapter 1 verses 36 and 37. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also received a son or conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel understood what God was doing. Gabriel knew that God was helping Israel see that, yes, this is impossible for man, but this is exactly what is possible with God. And John the Baptist's conception, and as we will see in the weeks to come, even his birth is going to prove that God can do what man cannot. God can accomplish the impossible. And so God was using the birth of John to prepare people for the birth of the Messiah, Jesus. And he was doing it through a powerful demonstration that could only be accomplished by God. Right? He, he, he sends the angel Gabriel to make this declaration. He does what can only be done by God. You see, God will do what man cannot to display his power and his glory and to make himself known to mankind. So the impossible situation is more than man can handle. The impossible solution comes from a powerful demonstration of God. And then thirdly, the impossible works of God are often doubted by man. Now we see this not just in this text, but we unfortunately see this all throughout the Bible, all throughout history. And if we're being perfectly honest, we see this in our own lives. We tend to doubt what God is doing, we tend to question what God is up to, we tend to struggle putting our faith and trust in God. And that's exactly what we see in verse 18. Zechariah says to the angel, how shall I know this? I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. How, how can you convince me that this is going to come to pass? Because this is not possible for us to achieve. Gabriel Excuse me, this actually reminds me and reminds all of us, I'm sure, of Sarah when she is forced to name her child Laughter because she doubted the goodness and the power of God. Amen? And that's exactly what Zechariah is doing. A priest, a man with great knowledge of the Word, a man who knows the story of Abraham and Sarah very, 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 very well, looks to Gabriel and says, I need some kind of a sign. How can you prove this to me? Because this isn't possible. I love Gabriel's response. Notice what he says in verse 19. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. Now, the reason that's significant is because there's only three angels named in all of the Old Testament of which Gabriel is one. And so he first of all says, he says, I am Gabriel. Yeah, that's right. I'm that Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. Wow. Amen? I mean, that's, that is wow, right? He stands in the presence of God. And he says, And I was sent by God to declare to you this good news. In other words, how dare you doubt my word? How else do you explain what's happening right now, Zechariah? Any other reason you might be talking to an angel? Any other reason you can think of that these events are taking place? Why are you doubting God when God is giving you such a powerful demonstration of his power? And so Zechariah wants a sign. Gabriel says, I'll give you a sign. From this moment forward, you will not be able to speak. You will be mute until all these things transpire, including naming your son John, as we will see when the story unfolds in the weeks to come. Now, as Zechariah is in... The, the the temple, the people are worried, they're, they're panicking, no one knows what is going on. But as Zechariah finally emerges from the temple, the people were waiting, they were worried because he had delayed for so long, but he must have been pretty good at charades, right? Because somehow he is able, without speaking, to help the multitude know that he has seen a vision from God. And so however, I won't try to act it out, however he's trying to communicate to them without talking that he's seen a vision of the Lord, the people begin to rejoice, the people begin to get excited. Remember, 400 years God has been silent and now in perfect irony of the Lord, he speaks to a man and then takes his voice away so the man can't tell him about it. How hilarious is that, right? All Zechariah is able to say is, God spoke to me but I can't tell you what he said because God took my voice away. I wonder if Zechariah communicated that he had doubted and that's why God took his voice away, right? And so the people begin to get excited. The people begin to rejoice. Excitement is going around. But the question is this, why in the world do we doubt God when God begins to move in our lives in such a powerful way? Why do we question God? When God begins to reveal His plan to us. Well, it all comes down to a lack of faith or a lack of trust in our God. And and I don't, I don't want you to feel guilty for this. I want you to understand this is what causes it so that we can then do what needs to be done in order to fix it. Because the reality is, we all doubt, we all struggle. We, we doubt His abilities. We doubt God's goodness. We doubt His love for us. We doubt His plans. We doubt His will. Now, we don't say those things out loud, right? We, we would never say, Allie, I, I doubt that God loves me, right? We don't say that because we know how bad that sounds. But internally, we doubt God's love for us. Right? We know God loves us. We've learned it. We've heard it. We've seen it. But when it, when it becomes difficult, we begin to wonder does God love me as much as I love me? Because I would not allow myself to have to go through this difficult circumstance or situation. So, does God love me as much as I love me? I know God's good. But is God as good as he should be to me right now? Right? I know God has a perfect plan for my life, but surely this cannot be it. I want God's will to happen for me. But if this is a part of God's will, then I don't know that I trust his will. Right? And we doubt, we we lack faith or we lack trust in God. And again, you're not alone. The reason everyone in the room is silent, even those watching at home, aren't talking right now. You know why? Because we're all guilty of it. We're all struggling. So how then do we increase our faith and how do we increase our trust in God? And that's the question I want you to I w- I answer. How do we increase our faith and trust in God so that we can overcome the doubt that we naturally experience? Alright, I'm gonna give you, give you, give you a couple of ways. The first two that I want you to think through are this. Number one, we read His Word. We read the Bible. And you know why we read the Bible? Because when we read the Bible, we see story after story of God's goodness, of God's grace, of God's mercy. We see God providing. We've been seeing it through the book of Daniel. Amen? We see it here in Zechariah's life. Amen? And so if we will just spend more and more time in the Bible reading the Word, we will constantly be reminded of God's goodness, of God's grace, of God's love, of God's power. We will come away from the text realizing we can trust our God. Amen? So we spend time in the Word. And then secondly, we spend time with the Lord. We walk with Jesus and as we walk with Jesus, you know what we learn? He is faithful all the time. And you say, well, wait a minute, hold on. If he's faithful all the time, then why is my life messed up right here? Well, because you did that. Amen? Same reason why my life's messed up right there. Because I did that. It wasn't God not being faithful. It was me being foolish. It was me being unfaithful. Amen? But as I walk with Jesus, as I follow the Lord, I am reminded often through my own personal experience, God is faithful. I can trust him. And when I look back at those things that I desperately wanted, that God said no to, now on this end that I can look back and I can say, thank you, God, for not giving me that. Thank you, Lord, for, for not doing, for not answering that prayer the way I wanted you to. Amen. And so we spend time in his word. We are reminded of his goodness. We spend time walking with Jesus. We learn from experience that God is good, that he can be trusted. And then we can also grow in our faith by spending time encouraging one another. You see, this is not a lesson that we have to always learn the hard way. We will benefit from living life together, from loving one another, and spending time together talking about how God is working in our life. And when we do that, we will encourage one another. Amen? We will. I don't have to make the same mistakes Tad's made. I can just learn from Tad. I can learn from his experience, right? He doesn't have to make the same mistakes I've made. We can be good enough friends that we can talk about our lives. We can talk about Jesus to one another and we can learn from one another. It's called iron sharpening iron. Amen. It's a good thing. But we will only do that if we are living life together as a church family. Right. It's also why it's so helpful to read good books and autobiographies about other saints who have gone before us. Because we learn and we are encouraged from their lives. Amen. So we, 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 we can spend time in the word. We can spend time walking with Jesus. Those are by far the best ways. But another great way is spending time with other believers. You can even spend time with believers, excuse me, who have gone on before you by reading about their lives. Spend time with others and you will be encouraged in your faith. Doubt is common, but it is not good. Amen. Doubt is common, But it's not good. It's like overeating on Thanksgiving. You're not alone, right? But it's still not good. Amen? Right? Doubt is common, but it's not good. So let's take the necessary steps. Let's do what we need so that we can overcome doubt and increase our faith. You see, the impossible situation is more than man can handle. The impossible solution comes from a powerful demonstration of God. The impossible works of God are often doubted by man. And then fourthly and finally, the impossible is made possible through the power of God. And verse 23 says, when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. I'm sure that Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, was very surprised when her husband came home and could not speak. Maybe she was thinking, God answered my prayers. Get it? All right, we're we're working on it. We're getting it. Try to make you laugh. Okay, right? And so he explains as best he could what had taken place, and then God does the impossible, right? God actually answers the prayer. And Elizabeth conceives a son and will give birth to the son and call him John. Right? That's to come. But for the first five months, she hid herself away and praised God for taking away her reproach. And she celebrated the fact that God had done the impossible. So what is the Lord doing through this text? Well... He's using the conception of John the Baptist to prepare us for an even greater conception in Jesus. Amen. You thought it was impossible for a couple of old folks to have a child? Wait for what we see when it comes to Jesus. Amen. No father needed, the Holy Spirit will do the task. He is using John to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, who will also make the impossible possible by living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins, overcoming death by raising Him from the dead, and then give us the chance to do the same by placing our faith in Him. Let me say it this way, God's going to do the impossible by... Raising Jesus from the dead and giving us a chance to also overcome death in the grave. That's not possible for man. But it's possible with God. Amen. And God is going to send his son Jesus to live the life that we could not live. To die the death that we all deserved. So that we can live eternally with him in his kingdom by his grace and by his mercy. And you know what else is even cooler? Cooler. That's not where the story ends for us. Once we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus, once we've had our sins forgiven, then God is going to do the impossible even more. He's going to use people like us to tell others about Christ so that we can make the name of Jesus known even to the nations. That is awesome. Amen? Not only is God willing to save someone like me, God wants to use someone like me. Right, And he does the impossible through his own power. And he does it for his glory. And he does it ultimately so that his name will be exalted, so that Jesus will be known, so that people can come to faith in Christ. And so here's where it all begins. It starts with our salvation. It continues as we follow Jesus while making His name known, and then it ends with an eternal life and an everlasting kingdom. That is the impossible made possible through the power of God. Amen? The question is, is or excuse me, has the impossible begun in your life? In other words, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? Whether you're in the room, whether you're listening online, that's the question for each one of us. Have I trusted Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior? Have I allowed him to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me of my unrighteousness? Have I committed my life to following Jesus? If you have, then the impossible has already begun. Your sins have been forgiven. Your eternal life has been guaranteed. And although you haven't started experiencing it in full yet, it has already begun. Amen? And if you haven't, then I want you to know that you can. By God's grace and by His mercy, He is calling out to you, And he is calling you unto himself. So if you feel God speaking to you about your salvation and you've yet to give your life to Christ, I want you to know that you can. When he calls, you simply answer and say yes. Amen? And then believers, let me ask you, let me encourage you. Are you walking with Jesus and increasing your faith and your trust in him? Are you reading the Word, allowing it to encourage you and transform you? Are you sharing your faith with those that God brings into your life? What I want you to understand, what I want all of us to understand, is that God wants to do the impossible through us if we will let Him. So let's not be like Zechariah. Let's not be like us, <laughs> Let's not doubt. Instead, let's just trust and let's allow God to use us. Will you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, again, let me ask, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? If so, then praise Him and thank Him for your salvation. If not, I want you to know that God loves you. And even as we are praying now, even as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, God is speaking to you. And if you feel God speaking, if you feel God calling out to you, I want you to know that that is proof that God loves you and that is proof that God wants a relationship with you. So as we stand to sing the hymn of invitation, invitation, if you're here In the building with us, then that's your cue to come forward and I'll tell you all that you need to know so that you can give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You may be watching at home or watching online and I would encourage you to reach out via messenger and and, and just share with us that you want to know more about how you can give your life to Jesus. But if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day that you can. Believers, let me encourage you to trust in the power of God. Trust his goodness, trust his love, trust his will and his plan for your life. And even when it is scary, even when it is difficult, walk with Jesus and follow Christ. And when you do, when we do, we will experience the power of God in incredible ways. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you again today and we ask Lord Jesus that you be glorified now as we respond to your word. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.